I once uh, visited a pastor, a friend of mine, that had an office that was entirely full of books. Not the pastor you're thinking of. It's another pastor, right? His office was jam-packed full of books from top to bottom. Every single shelf was full of books. It's kind of like the uh, Library of Congress just exploded in his office. There's that many books. The sheer number of books in the office was overwhelming to me. And I know how slow I read. And so I thought I did the mental math in my head of how long it would probably take me to read all of those books. And I also know that my time to read usually is right before I go to sleep, and I may get about a paragraph before my Kindle falls out of my hand. Anybody with me there? You do the same thing? So I ask him, have you read all of these books? And I expected him to say, of course I have. I've read, I've read, read all of them. I've even wrote papers on all of these books. But what he said was, <laughs> read all of them. Oh, like every word? Heavens no, I haven't read every single one of these books. And then he taught me that, he said, uh, each of these books is different. A lot of the times with some of these books, you can read the first couple of chapters, and then maybe you can read the last chapter, and you'll get the gist of the book. And in some books, you have to read the middle, but a lot of times, if you pay close attention to the beginning and you pay close attention to the ending, you understand what is in the middle. I think we approach life like that a, a lot, don't we? Um, we place such a huge importance on our beginning, the birth, the celebration of a new life that's born and brought into this world. And we also place a large amount of energy on the celebration of life once it's over. See, we get together and some families only see each other when somebody passes away. Now, the beginning and the end are important, but depending on the person, we could probably learn a lot about people if we would hear the story of the birth and the story of the death. A story of the beginning or a story of their ending. And God is like that as well. We learn a lot about God if we would just spend time in the beginning. In the very front of God's words are these four words. In the beginning, God. Now we may know the rest of the story. You may be familiar with it. But the best part of this creation story is those first four words. In the beginning, God. The story continues, of course, and God is found hovering over the formless and dark earth, and he goes on to create light and land and the stars and the sky and the sun. He creates the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and the animals that walk on the ground. And in each step, he pauses and says, now this is good. God creates and says it's good. God creates and he says it's good. God created it and it's good. But he's not done. God has one last creation, his crowning achievement of all creation when he creates us, when he creates mankind, man and woman. And when he, when he is all finished, he looks at all of the creation and said, now this is 
very good. This man and this woman have been created in our image. He uses that plural, our image, talking about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. In the beginning, God created everything perfect. He created us perfect. We were created to have a perfect relationship with him. Now imagine what that would be like. A a world without any sin, a world with no pain, with no sorrow, with no tears, with no indigestion today after lunch. Nothing like that. No pimples, no calories. Praise the Lord for that, right? We can go to lunch here in a moment and not have to worry about where the fried chicken is going to end up later on, right? Psalm 100 verse 3 says this, Know that the Lord is God, it is He who made us, we are His, and we are His people. If you're following along, that is the G there. God created us to be with Him. Our story starts with God. He created us to be in harmony with Him. We were created on purpose for a purpose. We were created to be with Him forever. Some things just belong together. Peanut butter and jelly, right? Oreos and ice cold milk. Anybody there? Amen for that, yeah. See, in the beginning, God created mankind to be with Him forever. Yet the next place for notes, if you're taking notes today, is our sins separated us from God. Our sins separate us from God. You see, God is a loving God, and in His love, He chose to give His people the ability to choose. We have the ability to choose ourself and dependence on ourselves, or we can choose God and dependence on God. We get the choice. Why? Well, if you read on in the story of Genesis, the beginning of our story, we choose, we choose. We choose self rather than God because we think that choosing ourselves will give us real freedom. Why would we want to attach ourselves to some other being that might tell us what to do and what not to do? We think real freedom comes in self-choice. But we know that that choice ends in selfishness, in loneliness, and ultimately death. See, separation from God is like this giant chasm where all of us and our our sinful choices are on one side, and God in all of his perfectness is on the other side. I don't know why I chose you guys to be on the, the imperfect side. No offense, but Romans 3.23 puts it plainly. He wraps it all up in this one, into this narrative. He says, for we have all sinned. And we have all fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us. There's not one of us in this room today. There's not one person that's watching online today out there that has not fallen short of God's holiness. His standards. And it's because of our choice. It's because of our sin. I remember about 26 years ago now, I sat in a car with my wife's mother, Rose, a a wonderful, one of the, the, probably the most Christian ladies I'd ever met in my entire life. 
I was driving, Rose was in the uh, passenger seat, Carol was asleep in the back seat because that's what Carol does. <laughs> Sorry, babe. <laughs> and Rose took the opportunity to see just what kind of joker was dating her daughter, right? And so she asked me what my thoughts about God were. And I proceeded to tell this very godly woman, this follower of Jesus, my personal theology of what good works and good deeds is all about. See, what I told her that day was the gospel according to Brian. What I didn't mention at all to her was the gospel according to Jesus. And I explained to her that I may not be a perfect person, but God knows that I wasn't a bad person. And certainly, if God was good, that my bad isn't as bad as somebody else's. And if God was good, wouldn't he place my good deeds against all of the, my bad deeds on some sort of cosmic scale? And at the end of my life, if my good outweighed my bad just a little bit, then I was good to go. Anybody else been there besides me? And so this brings us to S in your handout. Sins cannot be removed by good deeds. What I didn't understand that day was that my sins had nothing to do with my good deeds. I could not weigh one against the other. There was nothing I can do on my own strength to cross that giant chasm that I was making between myself and God. And see, the problem with my theology that day about Jesus and God was really misunderstanding what my sin was doing. And every time that I would sin, that chasm would get greater and wider and deeper. And every time I did something good, nothing happened to the chasm. The damage is done. The chasm between God and I had been created. And there was nothing that I could do in my life that would ever cover that up. On one side, I stood the sinful, the self-righteous, the smug Brian. On the other side of my self-created chasm was a holy, loving, and just God. I know that now that my God has to deal with sin. Sure, I believe that God saw me over on my side. I know he saw me who, for what I was, but he also saw me for what I could be. He saw the bad. He saw the lust. He saw the cheating. He saw the pride. And God knew as much as it broke his heart to see me over there and then he knows that he is over on that side that that sin that was in my life had to be punished. There had to be a, a price paid for it. There was nothing that I could do to overcome it. Not even my good deeds. Isaiah 64 verse 6 says all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. So there wasn't anything that I could do. There was no amount of good acts that I would ever be able to do that would fill up that chasm that I had created between myself and God. And each time I would think that, um, that being good is going to allow me to cross that chasm, I'd just fall back into the void and the cycle would continue. 
I would do something bad and I would sin and I'd feel bad for it. I'd say I was sorry or I, and then I would start doing good for a while. But then before long, I just found myself in that cycle of sin over and over and over again. And nothing I was doing was ever getting me any closer to God. If I were going to reach God, I needed a way to break that cycle. I needed a way for the price of my sin to be paid. And I knew in, in all of my soul, and I think you know in your soul, that your sin needs to be paid for. It can either be paid by me, or write this down, paying the price for my sin. Jesus died and rose again. Romans 5.8 says it, this way, that God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, separated, stuck, Christ died for us. He paid our price. Jesus filled that chasm that separated me from a very holy God by laying his life down for me and for you. And he was the only one that could give me access to God. But he did more than pay that price or the ransom or the penalty. Jesus also rose from the grave. He demonstrated for us the power that we too can have through him. See, Jesus just didn't want to set us free. He didn't just want to cover up that chasm of our sin, but he wanted us to give us the power to live in pure freedom. Jesus himself said that he came so that we would have life, so that we would have life abundantly. He didn't want to leave us on our own, fending for ourselves in a broken world, but he rose from the grave to demonstrate the power that we too have over sin and death. He saved us from, his, from our sin through his death, but because of his resurrection, he walks with us today every day. And that is the good news for us uh, as individuals, right? But it's also the good news for all of us corporately, for all of us. So the E, if you're taking notes, stands for this, that everyone who trusts in Jesus will be saved. Perhaps the most famous verse in the Bible is John 3, 16. You could probably say it with me, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. See, believing in Jesus means that we need to trust him, to depend on him fully, to fully rely upon him. Your eternal life has never been about you trying to be better or trying to be good enough. Your eternal life is all about you trusting that Jesus is enough for you. Every other world religion, name, name one, just name any of them. You will see mankind trying to work his way up to a God. And Christianity says that God knew there was never a way that mankind would ever get up to God. So God instead came down to mankind. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace 
that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God. If I were to give all of you a million dollars today, in fact, why don't the ushers bring up the sacks of money today? We're just going to do that. (laughs) Yeah, Bo is clapping. Bo is happy that he's, I'm sorry, buddy, you're not getting a million dollars today, but... If I were to give you a million dollars today, hopefully you would receive that, that you would use that, and you would enjoy it. I'm sure all of you have an idea of what a million dollars could do, right? Jesus, though, has given us a gift that's far greater than even a million dollars. He's given us an eternal life forever with him. It's the promise that one day you and I will get to spend every day with him in heaven. But before then, our last fill-in is this. Life with Jesus starts today. And it lasts forever. Jesus summed it all up in John 10.10 where he says, The thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. You see, Jesus died so that we could be restored to a full experience of what it means to live with him in his creation, to be his creation the way that God meant it to be from the very beginning of time. We are supposed to experience the love of God. We get to experience the graciousness of God and the mercy of God. See, he wants to restore all of us to the purpose for which we were created. He wants wants us to spend our days worshiping him and loving him. The only one that was able to truly satisfy our soul and bring us back to God the Father. He wants us to join him on the greatest of journeys that we will ever have. A journey that lasts forever, but a journey that can begin today. The end of the book, the beginning says, in the beginning God, and talks about how we were created to spend an eternity with him in perfectness. But the end of the book says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. And get this. And there he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no crying or in pain. For the old order of things have passed away. In a moment, we're going to be able to celebrate our ritual 
of baptism. And this morning, 13 people are going to come before you and say, from this moment on, I am following Jesus Christ. I want, they're going to say, I want everyone to know that I am saved by Jesus and Jesus alone. That is what they get to publicly uh, tell all of you about today. But I would be so wrong if I did not give you that opportunity right now to start following Christ. And so I'm just going to ask all of us to bow our heads and to close our eyes for a moment. And I realize that in a room this size, probably talking to a few different types and different groups of people. This morning, there's probably some here that have never given their life up to Jesus. Never knew what it would be like to live in perfect peace with him. Never knew what it would be like to have a life to the fullest. And you're caught in that constant cycle of sin and feeling bad and trying to do good all on your own. I have good news for you that Jesus is here with us today. Amen. And the even better news is that you can reach up to a God that has come down here to this sanctuary because he knows that you would never be able to make your way up to him. And so if that's you, if you're this group of, of people today, maybe you would pray something with me this morning that would just sound something like, Jesus, I don't have this all figured out yet. But I believe that you died for my sins. That you paid the price for all the things that I've done wrong. And I need your forgiveness. And Jesus, I would like you to be part of my life. And I want to call you my savior. Thank you for this day. There's also a couple other groups of people here today. There's probably those that have said a prayer like that in the past, but you've walked away. You know that Jesus was there right by you, but you've just kind of wandered off. Today's the day to start that journey again. And so maybe you would want to pray, Jesus, I'm sorry for walking away. I know that you are the way and the truth and the life. I've asked for your forgiveness, but I need to ask you, Lord, if you would just have me back today. Would you help me again on my journey? From this day forward, Lord, I want to walk side by side with you and I need your help to do that. Jesus, would you forgive me and welcome me back? And the good news is that no matter which of those prayers that you may have prayed today, is that Jesus says, yes, I'll have you back. I want you to be on this journey with me. There's a whole lot of ways that we could do this today, but in a crowd this size today, as all of our heads are bowed and our, our eyes are, are closed, if you prayed that first prayer, maybe that you asked God into your life for the very first time, or maybe something just clicked and made sense and you prayed that with me, would you raise your hand so we could acknowledge that? Anyone here today? 
Maybe you're part of that second crowd of people. That you prayed a prayer like that at one time, but you've walked away. And you know you have. But you really want to come back home. You really want to start walking with Jesus again. If that was you, would you acknowledge that just by raising your hand? Amen. Hands all over. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for being part of our life. Thank you for offering us the greatest gift we could ever have, saving us from our own sin. Thank you for crossing that chasm for us and bringing us closer to God through your sacrifice. And Lord, in a moment, we get to celebrate with 13 individuals who are publicly going to say, from this moment on, I am following Christ. Lord, you have been working in this service today. You have been part of the music, been part of uh, the word, been part of every part so far. Lord, would you bless this moment of baptism? And Lord, may it be a celebration for all of the church. May it be a celebration for us, Lord, as we get to celebrate with these 13 individuals a decision that they have made for you to follow you from this moment forward. Lord, all the power, all the glory goes to you for this day, and we thank you so much for it. It is in your name that we pray, and all of us said together, amen. amen.